what is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? And friends, this is a huge question. In fact, I believe it's a life-changing question. So let me ask again. What is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? It's your worship. It's your worship. And I believe the, the answer to that question has profoundly marked me as a person. It's changed me. You know, we are wired for worship. In the next few weeks, what I want to do is focus on worship and kind of explore this life-changing reality, this life-changing way of life, because it's about how we live. You know, one day Jesus was walking the streets of Samaria, and he had a conversation with a woman. And this woman realized there was something very special about Jesus, and he was talking to her about some sin in her life, and the conversation takes a strange turn. They begin to discuss worship, and she asks a couple questions about worship, and she's trying to understand this thing called worship. And Jesus says this. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship, friends, is something that God seeks, God desires. We are wired for worship. You know, last weekend, my uh, grandkids invaded our home, and uh, they invade, seriously. <laughs> and uh, Ethan, Ethan's five years old. Um, you don't know him, but, but he's, he's extremely self-conscious at five. And uh, he likes to sing, but he doesn't want anyone around, and he doesn't want anyone to hear him. So once in a while, you'll walk in on him, and he'll be singing. But Cindy noticed that during the worship service here, he was singing with the song Chainbreaker. And it was a moment, you know, one of the moments. At dinner that afternoon, uh, we are getting ready to eat, and... Uh, Dason, uh, he's three, he, he offered to pray. And so we started to pray, and Ethan just stops us. He goes, wait, I'm not ready. And uh, again, you, you have to understand, this is strange for him, because he usually resists prayer. And he usually sits quietly with his eyes open watching everyone. And the reason why I know this is because I've peeked during prayer a few times. <laughs> Now, some of you are very worried. You're going, i got to be careful. I didn't know that the pastor peaks during prayer, you know. But uh, anyway, we waited. He folded his hands, and he bowed his head, and then he blurted out, I'm ready now. And in a voice that would have made a, a mouse seem really noisy, Dason prayed, you know, God is good. God is great. Let us thank him. For our food. Amen. Now, on the surface, doesn't sound like anything uh, terribly significant. It's not extraordinary. 
but friends, it made me smile. And you know what's more important? It made the creator of this universe smile. God noticed. We are wired for worship. You know, why, why is worship so important? Well, I'm going to give you a couple reasons today. One is, worship's so important, there is a war being waged for your worship. You know, there's a war being waged for your worship. A war that began before creation. You know, you can look in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and we see how the war started. You know, long, long before any of us were around, Scripture says there was an angel. He was more beautiful than the other angels. His name was Lucifer. And Lucifer, many biblical scholars believe that his function in heaven was he was a worship leader in heaven. And so he was kind of directing all the other angels and their worship to, to the creator of all things. And somewhere along the way, Lucifer's desires changed. His motives changed. His intent changed. In fact, he turned inward. You know, he, he got dark all of a sudden. You know, he, he began to desire what only God was worthy of receiving. In fact, you can read in Isaiah 14, Lucifer says this, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And friends, that moment, that moment in time began a war for your worship. You know, God casts Lucifer out of heaven and a third of the angels. You know, they became our, our spiritual enemies. We, we know them as Satan, the evil one, the legions of demons. And so I want to ask you a question. This is a theoretical question, all right? If, if Satan, if the evil one had a mission statement, something that if it would happen, it would equal success, that if he accomplished it, it would be a win for him. Based on what we've just talked about, what would that mission statement be? You know, I, I realize we are all in different places today. You know, some of you are going, well, look, Damon, you know, I'm not a worshiper. You know, in fact, I'm not even religious, to be honest with you. It's a miracle that I'm even sitting here today. And if that's you, I want you to know I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, and it's okay. Some of you are Christ followers. You go, well, Damon, come on. You're being a bit dramatic. I mean, I am not going to worship Satan. I, it'll never happen. Give me a break. I'm way smarter than that. Well, let me tell you something. Satan's way smarter than that, too. In fact, the evil one realizes that the situation is, and he realizes that you probably won't worship him directly. He gets that. He understands that. But what if he could get you to worship anything other than God? If he accomplished that, 
would that be successful? Friends, we are wired to worship. We are all worshipers. We all worship something. So the question is, what do you worship? What do you worship? You know, whatever's number one in your life is what you worship. I mean, for some, we worship our own image. You know, it's about me. Everything's about me. You know, we, we try and sharpen our image. We spend an inordinate amount of time, you know, hitting the gym, working out, you know, getting our teeth whitened so we can blind people with them and things like that, you know, getting our hair whitened. Uh, <laughs> The latest cosmetic improvements. Dress for success. Look to the designers for what to wear. Look like we belong on the cover of a magazine. And don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. We should. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good. It's okay. But when it becomes an obsession, when my image is the most important thing, we got a problem. You know, some of us, if we were honest, we worship our kids. And and this one's easy to do. It's really easy. Because we love them. We want the best for them. We want to give them everything that we had or didn't have in our lives. And so we kind of go overboard. You know, we get involved in everything under the sun, you know, ballet, soccer, piano, voice, and we just keep stacking it up. In fact, if we're honest, we don't feel like we're good parents unless we're ran ragged, you know, traveling to some competitive event every other weekend and, you know, just on and on and on. And so what happens is our lives kind of revolve around our children because if we're honest, we kind of worship them. Some of you have a little device in your pocket. It's called a BlackBerry. I mean, it may have a different name, but that device keeps you tethered to the thing that you worship, and that's your job, vocational worship. You know, whatever it takes to advance, to get a promotion, we never disconnect. You know, we we sacrifice our marriages. We sacrifice our families, our relationships, even sacrifice our health, all in the name of vocation. And the reality, if we're honest, too many of us, our jobs mean everything to us. Some worship money. Nothing wrong with money. It's a good thing, in fact. In fact, there's a misconception. People go, oh, money's evil. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that the love of money, the lust of money, is what's the problem when everything is geared toward getting more and more and more and we sacrifice everything to kind of watch the portfolio grow. Many in America worship a thing called comfort. I mean, we've been blessed as people in this country. All kinds of things. And so we worship comfort. We like comfort. You know, recreational escapes, fun fixes, chilling out and just doing nothing. We want to be comfy. And so we spend all of our energies trying to be comfortable. And I could talk all day on this one. 
you know, because there are all kinds of uh, diversions, all kinds of uh, comfort fixes. But most of them are very fleeting, you know. But I, I want to take just one on, okay? Like I said, I could spend all morning on this. But they, uh, you come home from a stressful day. You plop down in the oversized chair. Anybody do this? And we get in front of the oversized box. Click, 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 click. Comfort. Kids come in. Can we play a game? I'm chilling out. It's baseball season. Go play. Hey, haven't seen you at church for a while. It's football season. I'm a Rams fan. I pray a lot at the games. It's true, isn't it? (laughs) Comfort first. And friends, we miss out on so many opportunities that we never get back. And let's be honest. Some of us just haven't been very consistent coming to church, connecting with God. But we haven't missed one episode of American Idol. We watched the whole season. Don't miss it. I can't miss it. And my point is, we're always worshiping something. What is, what is worship? I want to give you a, a definition. Worship is giving worth or value to something or someone and placing it above everything else in our life. Worship is giving my heart, it's giving my values, it's giving my priority to something or someone and placing it above everything else. Friends, you are wired to worship. We all worship something or someone, and there's a war for your worship. Again, all the things that that we've talked about that we worship There is nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. It's when they sneak in right above God that you've got a problem. You know, Exodus 20, Moses, he was getting the Ten Commandments. And the very first commandment before God told us not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to lie, before anything else, Exodus 20, verse 3, it says... You shall have no other what? Gods. Little G, by the way. No other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, what? Jealous God. God says loud and clear, you shall not put anything before me. Why does God say that? Because God's a jealous God. How many of you remember Cracker Jacks? Okay, more than I thought. I was afraid I was going to like, you know, have a couple hands go up. Yeah, I go, man, he's old. Um, it was one of my favorite snack foods uh, as a kid growing up. Uh, you remember the little uh, kind of cardboard box, and 
inside the Cracker Jacks, you found caramel corn, about three peanuts usually. (laughs) And you raced to open it because what did you really want to get? The prize. Every time my brother and I got Cracker Jacks, we would open them and look for the prize. It was a race. And every time, my brother got better gift than me. <laughs> better prize. I think, I want that. It's funny, last weekend, grandkids were in and uh, Schnooks had them on sale, three for a dollar. So I bought a, pa- I bought a pack of them, brought them. And I, uh, talking to the boys, I, I gave them the box and I told them about getting it when I was a kid and about the prize inside. And they tore it open and raced to find the prize. It was interesting, Dason, he's the littlest one, he uh, got a uh, pencil topper, and so you put it on there and you go like this, and it spun around and it looked like a bumblebee in the air. Ethan, Ethan got a history quiz. (laughs) That's not exciting when you're five, trust me. So Dason, Dason's going around the house like this, going, woo, you know, cool. And Ethan, he looks at me and he goes, Grandpa, I wish I had that. I had to laugh. You know, I said, grow up, boy, this is life. You know. but God says, I am a jealous God. And this is a huge statement that God makes. I mean, what does that mean? You see, when God sees us obsessing over this or that, God says, I really want that. I want that attention. I want that time. I want that affection. I really want what you're given to everything else in your life, and it's jealousy. Now, here's my question. Who or what is sitting on the throne in your life? Not sure? Just have a conversation with God. You know, say, you know what, God? Show me. Show me what I have a tendency to idolize. God, show me what I have a tendency to worship. Show me what I put above you. Show me what I put before you. Be honest. What do you allow to take priority over God? What do you spend infinitely more time thinking about? What do you spend infinitely more money on? What do you give your total heart to? What do you allow to consume you? What is it? Because if there is indeed a war for your worship, who's winning? God? Or something else in their life. You see, worship's so important, there's a war being raged for it. And the other is, you are created to worship. You were created to worship. Deep in your DNA, you are wired for worship. It is part of God's design. God created you in in his image so that he could love you. 
so that we would love him, so that we would worship him. It's why we exist. It's why God gave you lungs to breathe. It's why he breathed breath into your, your life so you could worship. And, do, and don't misunderstand me. Worship is bigger than the songs we sing. Worship encompasses our entire life, our entire being. You know, stories told uh, that followers of Jesus, they were people like us, people that struggle, people that were trying to raise their families, trying to make a living, make ends meet, people who had met Jesus somewhere along the way, and Jesus changed their life. In fact, he rocked their world. And it says that they started seeing things that they'd never seen before. They started living differently because of that interaction with Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform some miracles, incredible miracles, things that blow your mind. And as Jesus was entering Jerusalem that day, the only thing they could do Luke records the event. It's worth, worth a read. But he says, they cried out in a loud voice. And we kind of lose it in the Greek. It's an undignified voice. Seemed out of place. And they point to Jesus. And they raise their hands to the heavens. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're, they're singing hymns. They're praising Jesus. The Pharisees, religious folks of that day, they see what's going on. They, they can't believe it. In fact, they are just ticked off. They're disturbed by it. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered and says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Here's the deal. One way or another, God will be worshipped. It will either happen a natural way, the way that God intended to be worshipped, and that is those of us wired for worship will worship God. But if something would happen and we would fail to do that, God says, you know what? You fail to use your lips. You fail to use your voice. You fail to use your life. If we ignore the reason that we're created for, then worship will happen unnaturally. And the stones will shout. They will cry out. You know, creation, it already declares God's glory. All you got to do is look around. But God says, if we fail to worship, then those stones who already speak of God's glory will vocally declare it. I want to say something one more time. Worship. Worship is bigger than what we do here on Sunday morning when we lift our, our voices in praise. 
Worship is everything we do in life. But what I want to do this morning with the time I've got left is narrow our focus. And I'm going to expand the focus through this series beyond these walls. But this morning I want to narrow it to Sunday morning. When we gather together like we are right now, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? I mean, when we realize that there is a war for our worship, we realize that we were created for worship, what part do we play? Now, I want to illustrate something here. Um, How many of you have ever been to a concert, a uh, play at the Fox, or a school play? Let me see hands. All right, my guess is we got everybody's hand up on that one. But it was probably a place something like this, or a lot like this. You know, had a stage, uh, had a lot of seating. And wherever you were, whatever that environment, whether it was a Fox or, you know, concert hall or school or whatever, there are two key components in that venue. The first one, it's the audience. You know, let's pretend we're at the Fox for a minute. You know, we're going to see Mamma Mia. Yeah. I won't sing for you, but... Yeah, thank you. (laughs) But where you're sitting right now, you make up what? The audience, right? The second component is the performer, the, the cast, so to speak. You usually find them where I am right now, uh, in the spotlight, so to speak. And I, I am fully aware, every time I, I speak, you know, deliver a message on Sunday morning, I am well aware of the components or the dynamics, you you might say. I mean, I I spend a lot of time in prayer and studying scripture, you know, just thinking about what it is God wants me to communicate or what God's placed on my heart. And I, I realize that I'm given an opportunity, maybe one opportunity to reach someone for Jesus Christ. And I realize that eternity is in the balance every time for the, anybody that's working with our Sunday morning worship, we, we talk about every day eternity's in the balance when, when we step up. And I realize that every week that I have an opportunity to mark eternity. But I also realize you have tremendous power. Because in a little bit uh, of a way, we do have that audience and communicator thing going. And so, like, if you get bored or preoccupied or you you can disconnect, uh, you can get up and leave. I'd prefer you don't, but you could do that. You could leave and maybe never come back. You know, my intentions to inspire, to challenge us, get in your grill sometimes and disturb you, you know, rock your equilibrium. But ultimately, I want you to grow growing your relationship with God and growing your faith. Now, everyone raise a hand. Raise a hand. Come on, everybody. And go like this. All right? 
we are going to forget, erase everything I just said about the audience and the cast and the performers, all right? When we gather on Sunday morning for worship, you never have been, you never will be the audience. It is not about us. We are all the cast, every single one of us. We are all the cast of worshipers who worship an audience of one, and that's God. And here's what I believe. When you let that paradigm sink in, it shifts everything. It shifts everything. I mean, chances are you'll seldom be late anymore. I mean, I've been late a few times. There's nothing wrong with that. But it changes because you kind of go, wait a minute. I'm the cast. I'm part of the team that's praising God. It's not about me. I am a worshiper. And when you realize that, it just changes everything. It changes my attitude in life. You find that you look at things differently. You know, you quit saying things like, I just didn't get anything out of that this morning. I've heard my mom say that. (laughs) I didn't like that. I just don't care for that song. Boring, boring, boring. Friends, you won't come to receive something from God. Although you will receive something from God. You will not come expecting to hear from God. But you will hear from God when you recognize that God and God alone is our audience You will not come to receive anything. In fact, you come to give. You come to give your heart. You come to give your worship. You come to give God whatever it is that's you. And people have been doing this since the beginning of creation. You know, followers of Jesus Christ, when he rose from the grave, they gathered that first day of the week for the purpose of celebrating, for the purpose of honoring and worshiping God. You know, whatever style, edgy, contemporary, traditional, whatever, it's sacred. It's sacred. And I understand we're all in different places. I mean, some of you are searching, trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out if there is a God, if he fits and how he fits. Some of you are young in your faith. You're just starting out. Some of you have been in the church your whole life. And to be honest... Church is just something you do. Not even sure why anymore. And some of you are mature in your faith. And it's all about God, everything that you do. But there's something I want us all to get. Worship is a response to who God is and what God's done. You know, Paul urges uh, Romans 12, He says, therefore, I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
Read with me. This is your spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercy, in view of who God is, in view of what God's done, in view of the fact that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the debt, to die for your sins, in view of all the great things that he's done in your life, all the good things that he's given, in view of who God is, in view of his mercy, We offer ourselves to God, friends, and it's worship. It's worship. One of the most dramatic pictures of worship found in the Bible, I think, is in Revelation 4. It's a vision, basically, uh, that the disciple John had of heaven. And if you read that chapter, you find that he describes four, four creatures, there's a lion, an ox, an eagle, and a man. And they're gathered around the throne of God. And it says this, day and night without ceasing, they sing, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're having a worship service. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is created on the throne or seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Here's what hits me in that scripture. I do not know who the 24 elders are in in that vision. I, I can speculate, but I really don't know. I do not know how they got to be elders in heaven. I have no idea. But I I know this that they had to be pretty spiritual beings. I mean they, they probably were very grounded and uh, that they have a sense of, of power in, in heaven. Yet every time the creatures sing, holy, 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 these, these 24 elders fall on their face and they take their crowns. And you know what a crown is, right? I mean, it's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of who I am. It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol that shows my right. And those 24 elders take that crown off and they set it at the throne. And they just sing and worship God. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Is just sing and worship God. Why? Because we're created for worship. Let's bow in a word of prayer. God... We praise you. God, we thank you. God, I pray that we would just lift our voices to you for who you are, for what you've done. God, I know that if we don't cry out, 
that creation cries out. God, we join with all creation declaring your glory. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.